0: Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. We're the professional association for UK film and TV directors. No matter the format, no matter the genre, our featured directors share their approach to the craft. We hope you enjoy. Welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Stephen Gallagher. I am an award-winning uh, short filmmaker and just directed my debut piece of TV. Uh, and over the last year, I have been lucky enough to be mentored by the exceptional Peter Hall, who has joined us. Uh, d- would you like me to do your introduction? Or- no, no,
1: you'll you'll have to tell them what mentoring means, because I don't know. But but we had some good chats. <laughs>
0: um, we love- did. And we, we had some great chats. And uh, Peter has just been an ex- exceptional sounding board and guide uh, to... Helping me uh, secure my first job and um, kind of navigate the going from short film to uh, long form drama. So it's just been a wonderful uh, and exciting ride that um, you have been brilliant and helpful on so many levels. Um, So thank you. You know, well, you you
1: did all the work, really, but I think what's key. Uh, and this is something that probably many members might want to think about or talk about. But it's it's that c- classic thing of like, you know, you've you've made more short films than I have. I can tell you how many short films I've made. That's zero. And you've made a lot more than that. You've won more awards for them than I have. And and yet there is this sort of brick wall of like, well, how do I get to do this job that I love on a professional basis and not do it for no money for so long? And, and you know, blah, blah, blah. So So I always feel that's a a crying shame. And in fact, something else to talk about, we know in the last week, I think, that the long running show Doctors has been all coming, is going to come to an end. And that was one of those places where you could go in and and cut your teeth. So I did it on Hollyoaks. And, um, you know, it is it is a thing. And I know that our, one of our esteemed leaders is taking that on and going, well, look, what what are you going to do in its place? It's fine. Get rid of it if you want. But what else are we going to do to test people out? And I think that's something – it's very, very tricky. And I think what happened for you, Stephen, was a was a perfect, you know, moment really where the people you know were suddenly in the right place to do the right thing and you were doing so well and your your films were doing so well. And it all came together, but everyone always says – And one day you're going to be in this position and you'll be doing these things. And someone will say, how did you do it? How did you get to this point? And then you'll be tracking it back. And in in some way you're like, Oh my God, you know, how did it, how did it actually happen? And it's just, it's, it's, it's sort of a lot of hard work behind the scenes and, and, and right place, right time and all kinds of things that nobody wants to hear the magic potion, but there isn't one, but. um, But there is,
0: you're absolutely right. There isn't. And, and that is, you know, such a, a key part of this. I, I know so many exceptional short filmmakers who who are smashing the award ceremonies, you know, all of the circus, everything, you know, and they just, they, they, they hit that block and they don't know how to then get to that next point. And like you say, there's no magic formula. It could be a million and one different things. For me, it was, like you say, the right people at the right time in the right place and, yeah I mean yes, that goes with the combination of hard work but
1: you know you you had what was necessary you had the, you had you had what it takes and uh, you just had to prove it and and there's always this leap of faith and but you had a big company uh, a, a big you know ITV massive brand you had a big company yeah. mammoth you had to impress a lot of people a lot of very tricky people to impress and uh, and you sailed through it so I think you know that should prove to some others and maybe this is what we have to do next is to prove that it's worth doing that more often. It's worth taking that risk. And yeah. and I got a big break on wire in the blood many years ago because the then owner, a co-owner of that company with Robson also wanted it to be the case that she helped new, you know, new talent. And, and I think, I think I'm right in thinking that um, she said that one of her four directors per year would be a new director. And I don't know quite what that meant because this I don't think it was about someone coming into that show with no experience at all, but certainly somebody, and I think ideally she was looking in the Northeast and did find some people, but I was lucky enough to be not from the Northeast and get my chance. But anyway, uh, we digress. You're here, you're doing the questions. We do. So
0: with it. <laughs> <laughs> I I, will. Yes. Well, uh, I'm sure uh, most people uh, here should, should know who you are, uh, but if they don't, Peter Tahoe obviously directed uh, episode three of The Last of Us, long, long time, Uh, but he has been directing for 22 years, and credits include include Wire in the Blood, obviously, uh, Daredevil for Netflix, The Umbrella Academy, It's a Sin, Nolly, and obviously The Last of Us, to name but a few, Da Da Vinci's Demons as well. I I mean, the list is, the list could go on. Um, Thankfully, thankfully it's
1: a list. Yeah. I'm
0: very grateful. It is a list. Yes. Well, you know, that is a hell of a career. And like you said, you know, you started at at a training ground. You started at Hollyoaks and did your time. And then, you know, you've progressed. And what some people would maybe see as a sort of overnight success in the last couple of years with, Things like uh, It's a Sin and and The Last of Us. But that is 20 years of honing your craft to be able to be in that position.
1: I mean, you could argue it's sort of 43 years uh, because when I was about nine years old and I fell in love with Doctor Who, it was like, oh, my God. It was a moment of a realization of what I think I wanted to do. And then school gets in the way because they try and make you do things you don't want to do and be a doctor or something really boring yeah. that. and um uh and then and then yeah the years later it all comes back round, and and so it feels like a long time in the process plus uh i started in 91 no, 89 i started oh god this is aging me i started in 89 <laughs> doing a media degree and then um In 91, I got my first sort of TV job, which was technically a uh, a placement that we all had to get. And I worked in light entertainment for LWT and did loads of shows with them over a period of a year. Then I went and did theatre through a few contacts that I had and stage managed and production managed that. And then ended up on peak practice where I became a location manager. And then after many years of doing that and other shows, I kind of was um, taken under the wing of a director who said, who basically said the job I was doing in locations, in in other words, the way I was breaking the script down was far more insightful and far more in depth than he had known from location managers. And no one ever taught me to be a location manager. I was thrown into the job, into the role at 25, I think I was. And I was there. They liked me. I did my job and, um, and I just did it. I kept doing it. And then, he said, "Well, you're, you know, you're thinking about their character. You're thinking about their their class, their their upbringing, their where they went to school. You know, what they eat, and then the, you think thinking about all these things when you go and look for their houses." And I'm like, "I'm like, I'm not supposed to do that." And he's like, "Well, well, they, I don't know, but most of them just look for a nice, pretty house with a car park next to it, and then we're away." <laughs> so I, I was like, oh. "So we talked and talked and talked, and and that basically started opening me up again to." to possibilities beyond location management for which I am eternally grateful and um and then I tried a few bits on that show I directed scenes and then I took that to Hollyoaks and honestly like I say I I can't still believe that I was lucky enough to do that because I had no short films or anything I just had ambition and I get well one thing they said Hollyoaks said it was that I understood the schedule. and I knew when lunch was. And a lot of the people that came on who were film graduates were full of the best ideas, but didn't necessarily know how to get them done in the time and how to communicate those ideas. So we had this sort of meeting of two kinds of people. And and sometimes they were a little bit unfair, actually, because some of those people were were brilliant. But it Hollyoaks was relentless and difficult. It didn't take prisoners. Yeah. So. No. And and I guess I've been used to trying to do things telly-wise, telly-wise, and 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 so that helped. And um I didn't fuck it up. So uh I got the second I got a second contract and then and it sort of all went on from there.
0: Which brings us sort of full full circle to uh, uh to the last of us. Um and I guess my I guess my first clip, uh my first question, real question, uh is did the success of it's a sin help get uh the last of us or was it was it not so clean cut as that it wasn't like oh you've done uh it's a sin and obviously the the uh genre and the storylines are slightly similar and, and fit into a certain world but or was it accumulation of all of the stuff that you've done before that kind of helped you get get this well, this gig
1: and- I would love to say that they all watched it to Sin and they picked up the phone and went, my God, we must have him. Bring him to us at all costs. <laughs> you know, change everything and bring Peter Hoare. He's the one. Uh, it wasn't quite like that. Um, there was another director they were trying, they were chasing. And I'm never supposed to say who it was, so I won't say who it was. But it was somebody that I would have been like, well, oh, him? Uh, so I was a bit like taken aback. But he, he ultimately... Uh that person is not a TV director. And I think that was part of the reason why they sort of stepped away and went, No, this probably isn't for me. So I was lucky because I was, and this is also true of It's a Sin. I don't know if anybody knows, but I wasn't the first director on It's a Sin. I was the second. I was um I was, you know, they don't teach you this at college about when you should be available or how to be available at the right time at the right place. But I was, and um, I did have some connections with, with Russell, but none from working, just knowing him for years and Phil Collinson. And they reached out slightly desperate, which is always a good place to be. If you're looking for work. Uh, <laughs> and I was, you know, Phil just said, do you want to do a five part? Um, well, it wasn't quite like that, but you know, he said, do you want to, do you want to, are you interested in a five part Russell T Davis?" And of course I was like, Yes. Read the scripts, they were incredible. And I went and met them all and and then it happened. So, but I, I you know, Last of Us, they definitely knew about it's a sin. Yes, they did. Um, and people at HBO definitely knew about it. But I think that it was one of those wonderful times when enough people got together at the right on the right Zoom and, and my name came up enough times. But again, talking of fortuity, is that the right word? Fortitude. That's the word I think. I don't know, it doesn't matter. But <laughs> is that I got Daredevil by getting an email that said, if Peter Hoare can get his um, visa and his uh, DGA membership sorted out, then we'd like him to do this episode in like two months' time or whatever, three months' time. And I was like, how the hell? And my agent even wrote an email with four question marks on it going, how did that happen? What did you do? And it took me about five years to work out how I got that job. And basically – One of the execs at Netflix was at home watching Doctor Who with his wife, who was a massive fan. They watched my episode of that and she looked at him. This is why always behind every great man is a great woman or maybe the other way around, I should say. Um, (laughs) That's the other way around, but both ways equally. That's what I'm trying to say, equality. Um, But anyway, she said, you should hire that man. (laughs) So he did. And that's how I got that job. Incredible. I was trying to work out whether it was this connection or that kind of Da Vinci's demons or whatever. So yeah. honestly, you can't, you can't tell, you cannot tell, but enough about me. But Oh, it is all about me. Sorry, go on.
0: No, this, this is, a, yeah, you can crack on. Yeah. Uh, but I love that though. That again, you, you know, it, it, it's all about sort of right time, right, right place, right time, but not, it's not just luck it is right place right time with the hard work that's you know yeah, that's what's I think, got I think, you I suppose where I'm, you are
1: yeah what I'm trying to say is certainly to people who've been working grafting for so long it, it doesn't go unnoticed but suddenly those things do click into place and it's easy now for me to do that look back 20 years and go oh yeah I can see how that happened and that became that and that became that but like literally my first um uh, my first BBC job was a show that actually got bumped up the schedules because they didn't like it. So my episodes went to half 11 at night. Nobody saw them, but I went and did a show in Manchester. And the reason I got that job is because the costume designer on what, the costume designer on wire in the blood was walking past the office of the producer of this show who was holding her head in her hands going, I can't find any directors I like. And then she went, he went, Oh, I know someone. I've just worked with this guy. He's really nice. You should meet him. And so I came and met this lovely lady, Kirsten McDonald, still at um, World, I think, World Productions. And uh, I came on and we had a wonderful time. The show, unfortunately, didn't work. But that doesn't matter because that was one of my, again, you know, it's another credit. It's a BBC credit. It was originally an 8pm yep. show. It was the young cast, which is they thought, oh, he's done Hollyoaks. That's great. He's worked with young people. He's so working with, like, Stephen Graham, Christine Bottomley. Um, all kinds of great people. Who else was in that show? Who wasn't? Uh, anyway, it was a really fun cast, but it wasn't the right idea. But that was, a, that was again, how did that happen? Oh, well, there you go. That's strange. Anyway, yeah. it's full of that.
0: <laughs> I love that. Well, we've got some clips of uh, The Last of Us. Uh, and we talked about uh, a little bit about this uh, beforehand of what moments to sort of show from a uh, long long time and uh, we've got three different clips that i think we'd like to talk about and the various different elements of making this this particular episode and how you made it work uh also it's 75 minutes which i no. kind of want to talk about because yeah. having that leeway on technically it's not broadcast because it's hbo but it's you know it's not a streamer as such. Uh, but having that leeway on that kind of um, show to be able to have an episode that's that's a lot longer than all the others um, is something that I really want to talk about. But uh, firstly, I want to talk about the scene with Ellie and Joel at the gas station where Ellie uh, goes under uh, mm. the gas station and uh, she meets one of the infected, um, which I think is a combination of makeup practical effects and the effects and uh not only the technical side of that but uh the story point of that because it, it, you in an episode in an episode that's not really about Ellie and Joel you have a really significant point in her journey mm. um spoilers for those who haven't seen it and you should have done um but is the moment that she you know goes and stabs the, the infected yeah. and That's a really sort of interesting plot point um, for Ellie's journey. And I kind of just wanted to, well, we'll watch the clip and then we'll talk about the technical aspects and then the uh, story aspects of those. So, uh, Sean, if you could play the first clip, that would be brilliant. We watched a short clip from The Last of Us, episode three, Long, Long Time, which appears approximately seven minutes into the episode where we see Ellie enter the cellar and meet one of the infected. It's, it's still incredibly uh, frightening as well, which is mm. brilliant. You, you and Eben lit that essentially with two lights, the light coming from the, uh, from the hole and just the torch light. Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was quite kind of a conversation we started with because, uh, you know, the tone of... Well, so we were doing episode four, this wasn't episode three, uh, full story. Episodes one and two became episode one. They were edited together. So we were originally episode four, but they had just escaped from Boston. They were on the road in the green outside in the natural world. Kind of relatively safe for a while, um, although they never are safe, but you know what I mean? And, and so mm-hmm. we also thought that we had an opportunity to do things slightly differently. And I guess that's also what you do, full stop, as a director. You're always going to think about what you can do better or elevate or whatever, without changing the the whole thing. You know, don't go off in a different direction. So anyway, so we talked about that. We talked about the colors and everything that we were going to encounter, and we also talked about how we were going to light the night or the darkness, because there's a big scene in the middle where where Bill is fighting the raiders, and so we decided not to light that with moonlight. And I think from that it came to it came to a a mission you know one of the greatest things greatest choices you can make is not to do something and um a lot of the time i mean i'm i'm you know i work on many shows where darkness is like a dirty word um (laughs) of the tone you know they they a lot of broadcasters were like oh it's too dark too dark and also it's the first thing that people moan about when they can't see something going on and they're sitting watching it in the middle of a you know middle of a sun sunrise or, or whatever with a horrible dirty tv screen and uh, on their phone and then they complain that they can't see anything so i will fucking concentrate and turn the lights down and, and look, look pay attention so um but anyway that said we didn't get any kickback off that and that actually as you're right it was two light sources one of them is actor led so that was always a thing um and there were loads of technicals there was like three sets there there was the set that he was in, uh, Joel was in. Then there was the set she walked into initially. Then there was a third set underneath. Everything in The Last of Us was built. We 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 started off yeah. thinking, oh, we'll go and find an old building that's you know crappy and make it worse, and it never worked. It never ever looked as terrible as it should do. And if it did, it was condemned, and we shouldn't have been in there. So, so we built pretty much everything um, because that's the way to do it uh but but yeah there was a lot and that that poor man who was trapped under that rubble obviously not a real rebel but at the same time he's we had to build him a rib cage so he could breathe under there um a sort of sturdy rib cage but he definitely had a few moments where it got to him and we had to release him so he could have a bit of fresh air and all of that um so that was no mean undertaking but
0: yeah that's uh yeah that's a hell of a, a hell of a three set, even mm-hmm. for just you know almost like a, a small section of, of, of oh, so very a very large episode tiny
1: part of the story
0: <laughs> yeah exactly and was the, yeah. the, there's a there's a fourth set on that section as well isn't there because you built did you build the gas the exterior gas station on the road or uh, did you find that one?
1: Real. the exterior was real but there was a huge amount of vfx on top of it so what they normally tended to do on the outside world is they would dress the road or the floor that was interactive with the actors but they wouldn't go any further than that. So VFX would then distress the rest of the road and see roots coming up. And obviously all of the verges wouldn't be as neat. They'd be overgrown and run, you know, whatever and things yeah. dropped and, you know, whatever. So they'd do that. And then, um, the, that particular gas station was, was, we, we got rid of a lot of stuff around it, made it feel very more isolated, much more isolated. They did a little bit of paint job on the bit again, where the actors walked through, but everything else was done VFX. Yeah. Um, and in that in that very shot when you pan when i pan them in off the road and onto the uh, forecourt there's a big sign this is something that only you all know um but my my yeah. husband has a nickname and his name is written on that sign and uh i of course did not think that this episode was going to become as important as impactful as it i thought it was good telly but but now he's got his little moment in there, so that's why I recommend you do that. Everybody should put their loved ones somewhere in their movies because, um, because why not? So uh, anyway, why so, not?
0: Yeah, I adore that, and that is amazing. That is really lovely. Um, <laughs> that story, right? So anyway, whatever. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it, it's such a great little moment, and like you say, you know, you weren't to know that this episode was going to become you know who who does when you're making it you, you didn't know that it was going to become this that's, phenomenon that, that,
1: that you uh, know epi- uh, episodic tv is you go in and especially with america it's so fast i had four week prep four week shoot five day edit and and so you go in and you get down and do it and you leave and and you sort of go yeah that was fun everybody we did that well and and then it's it you know and it it never feels like an episode becomes bigger not that it did of course i'm not saying that it did but it never feels like an episode you make is ever going to be a key feature of the of the whole series it's just part of the series the whole the whole thing comes together to make the whole if you like so uh yes that was quite nice to be able to get all of that that sort of like feedback because i've never had that before
0: well i mean i i remember talking to you just before it came out, and uh, you'd gone to see, um, I think the the first episode uh, in LA and stuff, and you were saying yeah, how the producers and people were all going, oh my god, I love episode three, I love episode three. But you were kind of also feeling that thing, and this is something we'll come to talk about uh, a little bit later on. But that feeling of, are they just stroking the ego, you know, because I'm here, and are they mm. just saying this because, you know. And I think that's something, and like I say, it's something that we will talk about a little bit further down because we'll uh, keep it on The Last of Us for now. But that, again, it goes back to that sort of imposter syndrome -hmm. syndrome stuff that you and I have talked about a lot of going, are they just being nice to me because I'm here in the room? Or do they really mean what they're saying? Yeah, I think,
1: Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I've read a little bit around imposter syndrome recently because I've often talked about that feeling. I think I know a lot of us have it um and I've read some disturbing um I think fact-based evidence that it was created by men to make women feel inferior um you know it was literally like okay this is something we can do and I was like oh, I was reading this going fucking hell I better not say anything because that sounds really awful however what I am going to say is that because like I've touched upon I, I I I've my heart and soul is in this job I don't know if I've ever been taught how to do it and that puts you in a position where, you know, and there are no right answers. No one, you know, there there are some better ways than others, but there are no right answers, you know? So I feel like in that world, when you think you don't really know how you got to do it, you don't really know whether you are any good at it because what is good at it? How do you know whether you're good at it? And because um, quite often you're standing on set and people are looking at you and you go, okay, everybody, we're going to put the camera here. And some people go, Oh, oh, all right. And then you're like, oh God, why was that wrong? <laughs> God, I shouldn't have put it there. And actually, what they're doing is they're thinking about something else completely unrelated, or they're thinking about, oh, that was a quick decision. They're not normally like that. Directors normally take ages, or so on and so on. And you you're just pushing, processing all of these thoughts, and you're like, shouldn't be here. I know I don't know anything. So anyway, I think it is something that I I think a lot of us suffer from at any point in our career. And I also think, like I've talked about anxiety before, I you know i i hate the phrase suffered with anxiety but what i'm trying to say is that i have had it and it hasn't impacted my life but it also i think i can now say at my age that it actually kind of had a positive impact because i was able to think of so many things all at the same time and this job kind of demands that of you you kind of have to know what each yeah. moving part is up to at any one time and 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 what's coming next, and where you've just been, and and like where the grips are, you know, the grips are going to want to go early. So you think, okay, what can I do to allow them to put the crane away quickly, and then do all of that <laughs> stuff that is really not even what most people do worry about, but I do, and um, and so therefore I've got that going all around my head. But but yeah, I mean, it, it is a thing. Creative people generally, I think, suffer from it or uh, imposter syndrome. But, uh, but I think that's because there aren't any definitive answers in our world so so we're like we just have to I an in, instinct as well we we trade off our instincts and, and um you get given jobs because of it and so again for years I used to think okay which director should I be in this interview who do they want to employ okay I'll be a bit like them and sometimes that would range to David Fincher or to a good friend of mine Toby Haynes who was always getting really cool jobs and I was like okay maybe I'll be, be a bit more like Toby Haynes and, um, <laughs> and you know, funnily enough, I didn't get those jobs because they must have looked at me and gone, who the, f- the hell does he think he is? So um, it took me too long to realize that the only person in the room should have been me. And I should have just said, hey, everybody, I love this. And this is how I'm going to do it. If they don't like that, it's the wrong job for me. So um, but it sounds stupid, but it, it took me ages to realize that I thought I had to do everything. I thought every job that came my way should have been mine. <laughs> and of course, that wasn't
0: the case. <laughs> you know, No. And and I think, you know, you've said that sort of, I think Brian Cranston sort of said the same thing about acting. It's if you didn't get the job, then it wasn't meant to be your job in the first place. If you go in there and be you, then it's fine. If you don't get that job. Yes. All right. It might not be to all of us because money and job security and stuff like that. But at the same time, as a creative and as a director, you've got to go, you know what? It wasn't for me. And that's okay. Yeah. I will get the no, next no, one. No, and that no, will be. I want to
1: be clear, obviously, in the current climate, it's easy for me to say, oh, I didn't get that job. Move on. You know, there's a lot of of people without anything on their, book, on their books at the moment. And so I appreciate that this is this is, you know, it's easy to say, it's easy to imagine. But, but at the same time, you, you can't make it. You can't rustle it up if that's not what they're thinking, if it's not how they're thinking and it's not what they want to do. So um, you do have to sort of pick yourself up and get on and move on. And, and fingers crossed in the very near future, we'll all be able to do that with, with a a result. I mean, I know not everything is stopped. It's not just the Americans. The Americans don't rule everything, but I know that there's a knock on effect. And so there's a lot of holes in the system and therefore uh, a lot of jobs that may have been around have been snaffled up by someone with more experience, for example. So, you know, but there there's that to think about so you know the rules are always changing um and my 20 years getting here are not going to be the same as your next 20 years it's all different you know i didn't have street did i have streams? god i'm just trying to think now did i no. st- start with streamers i can't have done could i uh 20 2002 no that was way before streamers so um i trying to remember the first year for netflix house of cards i not remember when that was anyway
0: whatever well, back back to the Last of Us. Um, this this particular this scene and and uh, you you touched on the practical effects of um, the infected in under the under the rubble and and the the set builds. But in terms of story, you you really had uh, only two moments with Ellie and Joel in this episode in this massive episode, which is all about Bill and Frank, but kind of says a lot about Ellie and Joel's relationship moving forward, but you only had the sort of bookend of the episode yeah. with them. And within that, you you do hit upon a, a very big change in in Ellie. It's the first time you see her. I'm sure it's the first time you see her kill somebody, Um
1: Yes, I think it is. Feel like I think it I, is. I, Obviously, I think, yeah. in her life, it's not, because that's what it's referring to. You eventually, there's a whole episode that goes back and explains why she feels the way she does um, about the. Yeah. So yeah, but um, but it was. And, and another interesting fact is that those two had literally just got to know each other because we shot the episodes out of order. So as I said, I was episode four episode one had been shot that Ellie wasn't in episode two was Ellie's first scene scenes and then episode three was shot after me so literally they'd done about two or three scenes together where he is literally in character going I don't want anything to do with her get rid I'm not doing this job it's a stupid job and then they walk away and then it was me then then I picked them both up and it was like they had to imagine what episode three could have taught them and um and sort of like head into episode four. And I kind of think that worked in their favour because they were literally finding their way together as actors. And And I know yeah. that whilst they still had respect and love for each other at that point, what they ended up with was so much bigger and so much more, more like, you know, caring and adore, adore each other. But they were finding their way. And I, you know... Um, it was just wonderful to watch. And so, yes, you're right. I had two kinds of films going on one with their relationship and there are key moments. There's that one where we see a bit more about her. And um, also little tiny things that I loved about how he isn't, and this is from the game. He's not, he may look, Pedro Pascal may look like a hunky modern, like 50 plus man. Oh, he's not even 50. Don't tell him that. Um, But but he's he's been on the road for 20 years and he's achy his bones are screwed he's been in yeah. fights he's got cuts he's got thing you know he's got scars and so there's moments where this big heroic heroic figure sort of bends down and goes oh god and it's that's in the game that's a great part of of, of yeah. Joel's character so we had a la- we had lots of little bits like that but we could also start you going oh god this is this is what's going on and this is who they are really behind all of that and then uh One of my favorite scenes actually is one where she reads the letter at the end to uh, Joel and it's the letter from Bill. And it's honestly, it couldn't have been better because you hear Bill, you can see and hear Bill in the room with the little, and the way she does his laugh and all that kind of thing. She gets so much into it and, but underplays it still at the same time. And, and, and he doesn't do, he doesn't do a lot. He really listens and I remember thinking, God, should I ask for more? No, you know it's fine. I said, oh, and then of course you get back into the comfy edit, and you're like, Jesus, it's like really powerful. So, um, so those those two moments are really really special for the series. And uh, yeah, and lots of people, ga- uh, lots of people joked in the game. Bill's town is literally the, the the level where you go and get a truck. That's all it's for. You meet Bill and you yes. kill those infected, and you get a truck, and then you're into the next level of the game because you have a truck. And and lots of people are going, you're just supposed to get a truck. We're not supposed to be bawling our eyes out because these people we love are dying. We should just go and get the truck.
0: So um, that was fun. Yeah. Well, that I mean that is something to for um. Craig and co and your, yourself to have created something so brilliant out of, out of a side quest. And, you know, for two characters that I don't even think you, 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 you really get to know or see is phenomenal. And, and obviously, you know, Murray and Nick are sensational. And that was something else I wanted to ask. Go on. Go on. No, no, no. You I was going to ask. ask.
1: You'll answer the questions, <laughs> not me.
0: I was going to ask in terms of it, did you have a lot of say on uh, Nick and Murray or was that was that Craig? and um... Um,
1: Murray was already there. So I arrived and Murray was in place because Murray had links or Murray had friends at HBO and HBO. You can always trace the they love. They're very loyal. Fingers <laughs> crossed, but they're very loyal because they, they <laughs> remember their friends and they're like, oh, God, we just worked with this guy. He's amazing. So they knew the script and they just worked with Murray on. Uh, a completely different thing uh, white lotus but they loved murray so they said you should to, to, to craig they said you should meet him and he did and he went this is perfect you're right this is just who frank should be so yes that was done um and then there was another actor involved uh, who was going to play bill a british actor called con o'neill who also had worked with hbo and craig in chernobyl and actually years, the year after, I got to work with him in Nolly. So it kind of, yes. like, also... He,
0: he's, yeah, he's phenomenal as well. Wonderful, Love.
1: wonderful, wonderful, very gifted, talented, lovely actor. And um, he couldn't do it because of COVID. So not, not getting it, but his show got it and uh, it pushed their dates back. And then it, it was another HBO show. The uh, flag means HBO Max. Their flag, this flag means mm. death. Their flag means death. What? Yes. Um, so he couldn't do it so we had to recast and we had about two weeks left and we all sat around and so I did have some say at this point in the sense that a lot of names were brought out and we had started the journey by saying that we thought we would should cast uh, a gay man in a gay role and actually of course you can have that it opened a lot of conversations actually and I still continue to have those conversations about suitability of that whether that is the right thing to do or not I think I think we did look um we didn't find there weren't many again that age range there's not a lot of people who are out and also of a certain type and you know uh big enough let's say and 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 HBO really wanted a name they wanted a they wanted someone who could make a bit of an impact they always do and Anyway, so we we went off of that and went to uh, obviously no, notably straight actor Nick Offerman, but but what we actually realised is that Bill's not gay. I mean, Bill has a love for for Frank uh, uh, that he hasn't ever found before. He's never experienced. He's buried it so deep. He never. I mean, it's like this ultimate awakening. I and mean, of course, he has a gay relationship, a ma- male or male relationship, but. I don't know. I just suddenly realized that everything that's binary is not right. You know, we shouldn't be thinking of gay or straight or this or that. It's like, there are so many sort of sides to this. And and I think what mattered is that the actor playing Bill had an understanding of that in his heart. You know, he understood what we were trying to say and why why it mattered that we even thought that we should have casted, cast a, a gay man. But because we didn't we just wanted someone an actor that had a good soul and a good heart and honestly nick Offerman has got both of those things so but it was one of those things where we talked about bill and we were like nick Offerman, and everybody looked at each other and went yeah well that is bill that is totally bill but you can't rehearse with anybody you can't talk to them it's an offer only so you go all right here we go and then um he said yeah yeah, because his wife said he should he had to do it um and then he turned up we had a lovely dinner and then we went and shot it (laughs) that was that
0: that's it's crazy isn't it like i I mean i still like you say the american method: four weeks prep four weeks shoot five days in the edit that's it in out done Mm -hmm. but i guess and we'll play the, the next clip because i think it sort of shows the uh, resources that you have on an American show, obviously with something like HBO, especially. But well, yes.
1: I think that those three little letters they do make all the difference. But yes, I understand what you mean.
0: Yes, um, some, something that we we maybe don't have all the time on uh, on British shows, especially. You know, uh, like I've just had on on Band Two, and I I, I had an amazing line producer who helped me out uh, with quite a few things. Um, but I went in and it was like you know. I got told by the producer almost instantly. He was like, "There's no room for VFX. Anything you think is a VFX is online, and you get two drone days, you know, or a drone day and a crane day. That's it. Like that's your limit. And you're going in with that mentality of like, okay, so this is all going to be, you know, on this level. It's all going to be on the eyeline line level, you know, or you don't have a lot of scope to do some of the stuff that obviously you've been very lucky to be able to do on on uh, the Last of Us." but we sort have more time to prep to do it and yeah. it's like you know those solutions
1: but honestly though I think again I don't want this to come across as patronizing in any way but I think a lot of the 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 things that make us better are when we have less choices not more and I think that's what you know I started with Hollyoaks where there was no time no money and not always enough talent but lots of talent lots of great talent but sometimes some of those beautiful people needed a bit more than the others there were some great and some not so great actors but but, you know it was like quick go do it no too slow good move on do no, cut that whatever you know and and you're like you've got to think really really fast um so so i think that kind of helped going on and somebody actually said to me about about the last of us is even though i did have those resources most of the money went into the vfx into the build but in terms <laughs> of the camera, i don't think i did anything particularly dramatic there was one crane shot that we actually te- cut out in the first place um, I thought it was cool. It was just basically taking Bill. And there had been another one actually thinking about it. Oh, there was a drone, wasn't there? But that's that was when Bill had finished his fence. So we were trying to see the fence. Um, but there's yeah. a crane that pushes over the top of the fence as Bill goes out with his gun to meet Frank, although he doesn't know it is Frank at that point. And I liked it because it showed you that going out, it passed the, the safety gate, you know, out into the wilds. Um, but the, one of the remits for, for the last of us was that it was all handheld. And as, uh, well, I was going to say, as anybody knows, but I, I, I certainly know there's nothing worse than being told you have to do something all one way. So, um, I was always thinking about ways I could change that up or, or justify it anyway, that shot ended up back in. So that was cool. And, um, we, (laughs) The handheld because handheld can really draw attention to itself, and uh, when it, when moments are incredibly still, and and I think that's a mistake. Um, so what we did is we literally, I think we felt well. Craig was with us every day, so I think we we just jammed our operators into a little gap in between the door and the, wedged them in, so they couldn't move, even though they were holding it on their shoulders. Um, and and there was the tiniest friction of movement, but not, yeah. A lot um and then well other times we did it you know normally but i think we've since watched the rest of the series and gone hang on a minute there's a crane shot oh wait that's a that's a, that's a headshot. shot like so obviously they <clears throat> they you know it wasn't just me that thought that
0: way but anyway yeah well let's watch uh the second clip because it's one of my favorite moments of the episode and i do feel like it's become a bit of a signature of yours and i know that it's Oh, you've told me it's not a wanna it's actually three shots uh, uh but <laughs> but yeah, uh, hidden cuts but i and I know that you and I have talked about this a lot, that you sort of don't feel almost like you have a a signature, but then I watch stuff like it's a sin, I watch stuff like Nolly, and I watch the last of us, and you do love a wanna you, you know mm-hmm. uh Russell's not in the room, so he won't tell us off that uh he likes to cut into the. But you like a nice, long, continuous shot to tell a story in a more interesting
1: one. Really complicated the relationship with the water after the clip.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, Sean, if you could play the the second clip, that'd be amazing. Thank you. We then watched a second clip from The Last of Us, episode three, Long, Long Time, which appears approximately 43 minutes into the episode where we see the Raiders arrive and the action that ensues. First of all, I definitely don't remember as many cuts.
1: I, yeah, it's quite clearly not a one shot, but why it's important to say it is that it was conceived to be. um, It was conceived to be a shot that took him from the stairs, coming down into the the parlor. He finds the gun. He goes out. He rescues Bill and then brings Bill inside. And um, the it certainly works don't get me wrong i'm not I'm not disappointed with any of it but two things that went off and happened in different directions is um firstly after the cut we all had a conversation about what was going on beyond the fence and i made a choice which was a good um it was a choice that made sense but un- ultimately so basically my choice was never to shoot beyond the fence everything to be shot from inside the fence so whatever we saw even if the camera was closer it was only coming from their point of view it was what they saw but and i thought it was abstractly horrific and and you got the idea but also that was also after a little scene where bill constructed those fire throwers flamethrowers. Yeah, and and so again if you do if you join the dots, you go, Oh, that's what he was making. But they cut that previous scene, which meant they then had to go out and shoot some bits, elements of those things in the in the grass, the little lights, and then the tick, 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 and all of that. So that was the first thing that happened. There was a like a mini scene that went in before the want Um, there's a lovely match cut in there, by the way, if anyone was watching, where we follow um Murray down the stairs and then ends on a window shot and then it cuts. the reverse which is sort of a similar window so you kind of have this feeling where you haven't experienced the cut which is very clever of my editor um and uh then then it took took murray into the parlor then out now and when we got out there again uh you know everybody wants the drama everybody wants the exciting bit so we cut to some of those great moments and i love those moments i I shot that you know man on fire running at a fence felt really really scary and then um and then when we followed back, we dragged them back. And again, it's one of those things that sometimes you can expose your story uh when you stay with something for too long. And actually, part of the joy is cutting from A to B because then it keeps that tension alive. And actually, what we fell foul of on the work on the journey back was sit staying, it just I don't know, just it didn't feel as authentic that Bill was was ill or dying or b- bleeding or whatever because it was sort of very slow and it was languorous and all of those things and it felt like no you that's not what we do what we do is we cut we edit we, we, we go from there to there and before you've ever had a chance to think about it oh my god now he's passed out he's gonna die so and i think my my it's a sin one is is that i did this whole take taking richie and his friends into heaven nightclub at the end of first part part two episode two and we took a long time dancing to the wrong piece of music because it it wasn't cleared but anyway we did a long one shot down a corridor into heaven kiss 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 kiss, end and I loved it and and then you get this message you get this note from somebody um not Russell um but (laughs) oh oh it takes him a little bit of a long time to kiss that first boy does it you don't know he's going to kiss that boy, you know, until he kisses the boy. You don't know that he's going to go and kiss that boy. Yeah, but it, I mean, can we take a second out of that? Why? Because well, <laughs> let's get him to kiss that boy quicker. Yeah, but why is one second going to help you? Like, where where's this? this where's this thought process going? I'm starting to get angry to thinking about yeah. it. But anyway, um, well, we 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 ended up losing that battle. I ended up losing that battle. And at one second that cut, but it's a very good cut because I had a brilliant editor. But it didn't need to be there, and I think that's one of those things that you have to prepare yourself for as a director of television. When somebody says they don't like something, you can't really ever persuade them otherwise, and you have to decide what it's worth, and you can't throw your toys out the pram and run away. So, you can, but um, but by you know, I just I just think you can spend a lot of time. You've got to make sure everybody's on board. I think that's key. Yeah. One has to be on board with your choice you'll make, you know, and I think if there's any hesitation don't waste your time <laughs> unless it's your movie <laughs> it's, um then then yeah. otherwise people are going to just go. And I think actually sometimes even if you do edit a one to as long as you don't edit it much you do give feeling the perception that you were outdoors like on that scene you were there with them as long as it took it's real time. That's the other key thing. That scene yeah, That's you, the and I think that's, then people don't remember, like you didn't, you didn't remember how many cuts were in that, but, but that's no. kind of the point. And, and I think, ironically, the one and the very heavily edited scene should both feel the same, like there aren't any edits in it at all. Yes.
0: So anyway, I here we I think in. that is, that, <laughs> that is a, a great, well, that brings me sort of on to two questions that we've got from, uh. Uh, people in the in the panel uh de uh it'd be great to hear about the involvement in the edit and directorial control slash choice within that process um, If,
1: that, if, if that's onto the last of us then basically i have uh, in the american system is five four it's four or five it may have gone up to five but maybe they gave me five because it was this but i had five days um with my editor that was after a, a cut was already pre- together and one thing they have there as well they have bigger bigger teams so they had a visual effects editor they had a music editor they had assistant editors and they're themselves and so when you get that cut it's very very thoroughly polished um I tend not to uh throw myself into the edit process during the shoot I do obviously speak we speak to each other but I don't demand an an audience every night and go through dailies or rushes or whatever. And, and because it's doesn't, it's not what I want to do. So, um, I, I get the cut and then I sit with them, um, four five days and we, we bash out the story really. So we don't have to worry about making that transition work because that's sort of done, you know, and, and obviously VFX will make it better. So I don't, I, you know, sometimes in a British edit, you can spend two days trying to get this sort of like VFXy thing to look good enough to convince the execs that they're looking at something that's finished. Again, this this, this idea that we have to show them something that's finished. And you're like, well, mm, it's not finished because there's a whole post-production process. But you do still have to pre- present something that feels finished. Um, yeah. So I digress. Um, going yeah. forward that, um, music-wise, I think I changed a few cues. I actually put in a cue that I was desperate to put in on It's a Synth that they took out and so i went i'm using it again and i put it on the montage at the end of last of us and uh it was great and i loved it and it stayed and what i didn't know and somebody told me this recently that gustavo uh santoala who was the composer of the game and the show they actually were like well we can't use this clip it's going to cost us money so they gave it to him and he did six he had six goes trying to replace it and couldn't not not like but basically they all went nah let's use the original so it just goes to show they go through all that just because they don't want to spend a few dollars on amazing yep. pieces of- but i can say that now because it worked but if it had been a terrible disaster i would have obviously blamed something <laughs> um
0: obviously yeah but no uh i love that and then go- going back to this particular sequence as well um, Somebody, uh, George is asking, do you storyboard uh, with some people uh, something more people-centered like this episode, the storyboards? Um, are storyboards part of the process uh, as much as something with action? So did you storyboard much of the rest of the episode or was it just action pieces? And did you storyboard them?
1: Um, I'll start by saying I hate storyboarding. Um <laughs> and I will avoid it at all costs. And now maybe that's part of the imposter syndrome thing again, because I don't want anyone to know what I'm thinking. I feel I feel like I'm able, capable to, uh, to know what to do when I see it. And I can make very quick choices. And I always want to know what the actors are doing and how they feel and how they fit in and how they feel that they fit in to the world around them. And so I don't want to be prescriptive in that way. It doesn't suit my brain. It doesn't suit the way I... I feel my way into these things, and obviously that's fine for for, for people sitting around talking. But then there's action. Um, I I'm recently I'm on a show at the moment where it's full of previs. and one one interesting thing is, there is something there is something to be said for previs, but it's more of a technical thing. I think instead of a talk, I don't feel it's a very good storytelling device because you unless, and this is what we're finding unless you're in the marvel universe where you could spend a month sitting in a previous room working out exactly what you need to do and that's even before they build the bloody sets so then they decide right. from the previous how big the set needs to be because they go oh well actually we should be bigger whereas on this show we have already built a set and then we previs within it and then we realize it's too small and then we had to think and actually that part doesn't work and that part oh can you add something here whatever but but it yeah again not enough time overly ambitious to do things like that so I think storyboarding work if you if it works for you do it but I think it's a time sap and I feel like that if I can explain myself enough to people like I don't think a storyboard would have helped me to shoot that scene that you just saw I don't think so I think Eben and I had to make make a a choice as to how we were going to light it because there would be limitations as to what we would see so we we uh added the lightning it was supposed to be raining anyway that was always in the script so we went okay great let's have some lightning and then every now and again the whole thing gets lit up flame is the other thing again you can't it's only a few shows will allow you to light an interior set with flame and water and flashing lights so um and that was the bedroom that was all inside and then on the uh, from the stairs out, that was all we we got them to build the interior stairs and front room on on set on location, so that we could do that shot. uh And then obviously water wet down is good because it reflects everything. So you know you're adding and adding and adding. So anyway, why are we doing that? So I, I again, I just explained what we were going to do and how we were going to do yeah. it. And what we're going to see. Um. Yeah, I think if people don't get what you're saying, and you can show them better through a through a storyboard, then fine. Then, then fine. But, um, and I'm not one of those people who tends to go in and and says one thing and then does another. There are no real surprises, but, but the, other than those that come at us anyway on a daily basis. When an actor turns up yeah. and you're like, "Oh, great, okay, I can't do that and that, so I'll do this." Um, I kind of think that's where some of it, some of my annoyance with storyboarding comes from. But anyway,
0: <laughs> does that answer well, the question? Well, on, on your I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it, it did. If you like storyboards, storyboard, you you are you're, you're. I I feel like you're much better at communicating through words anyway. Um, not that I've ever seen I, your drawings. So. I'm a
1: stupid, I'm a uh, stupid person. He stands on the on the recce and sort of acts things out and goes, well, they're going to come running here and whatever, and I get overexcited. And I think I think look, what, what we do is we have to convince everybody. That our way is fun and probably the best way. Not that it's the right way, but it's probably the best way. And I think if you can do that, then people come to you and come up with either ideas, they help you, they bring you ideas, they whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and I, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of the time. Prevising, as I say, is quite useful because you're working in a three-dimensional space. So you've got all the heights of the set, you've got the heights of the props and all of that. So, and you can put a camera in it and go, oh God this set doesn't help us because there's something in the way. So you, that's really useful, but are not in terms of a moving storyboard, as in a proper previs, it's yeah. more of a tech vis. That's what I think is quite useful about that process. But in terms of watching the story go by, a lot of people are like, oh, God, that does, oh, is it going to be that slow? Well, well, no, it's not going to be that slow. But um, <laughs> just wait, leave that to us. But again, we're about true, that, and we'll,
0: we'll make it. Yes.
1: Yeah, but Um, we're talking about a lot of people's money and they want to make sure that their money isn't going to be wasted. That's that's what it comes down to.
0: Absolutely. And then uh, Paul's asking, what's your approach to working with actors and have you any preferred go-to tools to tweak a performance? Which is something I think you and I have talked about quite a lot, actually, before. Um, And you said one of your favorites is action verbs is uh, something you quite like. What did I say? (laughs) Action verbs. I'm sure we talked about that.
1: Did I? Go on, tell me about it. Um, I'm trying to explain. I
0: can't even explain myself. I
1: I don't know. I think my go-to is to listen to them. My go-to is to ask them questions, to speak to them, to make them feel encouraged and, and, and enabled. And you would be surprised how little that seems to happen these days um And I, you know, a lot of people are scared that actors are. I mean, I, I worked with the great David Morrissey, and he is the great David Morrissey. But I was always <laughs> terrified if ever started walking towards me across that. I was like, oh my god, I bet, I bet I'm not going to know the answer. And and I mean, he was so fiercely intelligent, and he was pulling the script apart, and it was it was brittle. That was the truth. The script was, did fall apart. And and so what a lot of the time you're like, Yeah, David, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Okay, well, what should we do? And uh and we would fix it. But I mean, there were many times when I felt like the actors were coming to trip me out. You often get told the story, oh, be careful of that one. They if they see weakness, they're yeah. gonna come, they're they're gonna test you. And a lot of that's actually bullshit. A lot of it. They, they're they as scared as you if not more so they, they you know my first day with Brenda blethin and she's the most adorable woman in the world and I felt like she was getting a bit tight and a bit a bit I worked up. I was like, How? oh my God oh my God, oh my God?" And all of a sudden I said, "Oh why don't you do this?" And she went, "No, I I'm, I'm not gonna do that And I'm like okay, okay let, well let's let's not do that let's move and blah blah blah. And then she would go, "Oh, you know what? What was that? What was that, Peter? What would you say?" I said, "Well, what, what if you pick that up and go in? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Let me try that." And then suddenly we were best friends, and it was just like I know we all get that moment of feeling, I don't know, inadequate or or, or incapable, and and I think your actors need to know you're a good captain. So I think speaking to them, listening to them, comforting them, telling them they're good, tell them they've done a good job. Um, you know i because it, it's not hard and i know we all get very busy but it's like remind them that they do a good job and then they go away with a little you know a little bit of something behind them and then they they carry on so anyway i'm just saying um what, what are the go-tos i don't know if i ever have a real go-to um it depends on the amount of time we have and and you know for, for last of us even though it was a 20 day shoot we didn't have a lot of rehearsal so we had to all throw ourselves. And again, this is something that Nick and Murray would definitely say. We all knew we had a great script. We had a great script, beautifully written. And our job was to not screw it up. And and, and like just knowing that is, puts you in a really, really good place. And I think, again, a lot of my colleagues will probably know working in a slightly different situation where the script isn't that good and you've got to come up with ideas. Otherwise, the whole thing's going to look terrible. So you fix it. <laughs> for them and you make it better you. And that's another reason why the actors are so important because they'll help you make it better. And you just yeah. work with Jason Watkins, who is more than capable of doing that. So, you know, you'd be mad not to listen to that to Jason and say, oh, oh yeah, let's do that. Let's try that. Let's do that. You know? Okay, great. So um, anyway.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that that's something that when you get such wonderful, generous and, and, brilliant actors like that that are are wanting to help then that's that's so much fun to listen to them and come up with the ideas together because uh, you know there could be I
1: love it I was honestly my first relationship was with an actor and I told myself never again Um, but I love working with actors I find it invigorating I want them to be challenging and try things out and be you know questioned because it's not a threat it's not coming from a place of, of trying to undermine you it's like you know, they are the only person that ever sees the character so so straight-lined as, as, as that. You know, you're looking at all of it. They're looking at, they're kind of blinkered in a good way and they're looking at their line yeah. all the way through the thing and they'll see things you don't. And so I just think it's crazy not to um, engage with them. Um, anyway, but look, a lot of the stories of the old days are well beyond that now. And I do remember a lot of directors that wouldn't, talk to actors and would sit in one place all day and shout and and i'm like i don't think that happens anymore so that's good
0: that is um asks, asked hey peter i've been making uh, shorts for a few years and a few months ago i landed my first uh, i landed a second unit director's job on tv how can i make sure to impress and what advice would you give to a new second unit director
1: I'm sure you're going to impress regardless um, because you got the job and they are already invested in you. You did enough to get the job and they must be like, oh, okay, cool, great. I think second unit directing, again, is is what a really tough job because you've got to take on a tone that you didn't set. So you've got to look at the material and go, sometimes you've got to look at it, Stephen, you've done this, and you might look at it and, and go, oh, I wouldn't have done it like that. It feels a little... I. And you could easily say, I think I can do it better. And that's where you shine as a second unit director. Don't be afraid to do it better. And then they'll look at it and go, the second unit director's work is better than the main unit director's work. What does this tell us? And then you get the job next year doing the actual first unit you know, directing. So I think, you know, you've got to be, you've got to make yourself invaluable and, and uh, you know, you don't want them to, to lose you really. It's like, you know, it's a hard job, second unit director. I would definitely say that, and and uh, and you feel I don't know, Stephen. You can talk about this more because you have done it more than I have. So you know, what do you think?
0: Um, I think I mean it is that sort of thing you say. You know, they're already impressed with you. All you have to do as a second unit director is make sure you. It's a lot like shooting main unit in terms of the things that you and I think about a lot. And I think that comes from our background of starting in locations and ADing is make sure you shoot it on time. Don't overrun, especially if you're second unit, do not overrun, like do not overshoot anything. If you're given something to shoot, you know, shoot it in the way that you would shoot it, but don't overdo yeah. it. Don't do a hundred takes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. exactly. If you've got an iPhone shots, you know, shots, uh, cutaways on a phone, don't do a hundred takes on it you know, do one take where there's a little bit of movement and a static, and then move on, like, you know, just get the stuff done that needs to be done because they'll look at you and go, well, that, that person could shoot it. They could do it on the day. They can get it done. You'll get another job out of that. And Like Peter says, you'll, you'll, you, you'll definitely get rehired and hopefully for a full episode or something. So, and again, with the whole imposter syndrome thing, you deserve to be there. You've, you know, you've clearly Perfect. impressed them. So that that's enough. That should be enough um, to go in. Just in, enjoy it. Have a good. Have a good time. Uh, yeah. uh,
1: anyway, Stephen, next question.
0: Yes, sorry, because we've not got long long left, and um, there is Questions. one more clip. Oh, Questions? Okay. No. Well, we can talk about it because the clip is of. Um, It's the the shot, the scene of them driving away from Bill and Frank's house Ah, and the window, which is the um, menu screen for The Last of Us, which also answers Jack's question of were you a fan of the game before (laughs) you got the job? You absolutely were. I was. I Uh, said yes. I
1: said yes yes. yes to the job before I saw the script. I didn't know which episode I was getting. Um, And um, luckily enough, I got that one. But... I kind of would have done any of it because I loved to game so much. It was hard though. It's hard game. It's brutal, brutal experience. For a, and if any of you don't play computer games, you're missing out. So you should. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I was really taken by the game and knew HBO were doing it and they, I didn't think I'd get a look in. I just thought it's not going to go to me. I didn't have a relationship with HBO at that point. So, so, uh, so I was very grateful. Anyway, um, but yes, that scene is a, well, that shot really wasn't there in the script. So that is one of those moments where I can go, yeah, that was me. But it was something we had all talked about because Craig was interested in using the window motif. And he thought maybe we'd all go and shoot a window on our episode and then HBO could use it as a menu screen for each episode. You press on it and then you go to the app. And that became technically way too difficult. But the idea of the window just got into my head because it is such an evocative image on the game. And there's a sort of wind blowing the curtain. And, and I just thought, I'd love to include it somewhere. Give Craig sort of what he wants. But he always wanted it at the beginning. And I was like, I haven't got that option. There's no, you know. So I just thought, where else could I put it into the episode? And then it all just so sort of fell into place. It was like, well, of course it's the last shot. And of course we pulled back. We don't, everyone was thinking, no, don't show us the bodies. But that was never the intention. But, um, <clears> and and we, you know, you just pull back and reveal them through their paintings, through their flowers, through the world, through the curtains. And, uh, and that was one of those shots that involved so many people because we had to build that window separately because the one that was actually in the house wasn't suitable. And then we, the, the bit where the truck drives off wasn't, was all CG because there wasn't actually a view or a truck or a, a, dro- a road And and so you know, and it was also second unit because I did it myself and we looked at it and went, That's rubbish. So we asked him to do it again. And we were doing it via our iPads, me and Evan. We were watching our the very Peter Jackson and we were watching the iPads going, yeah, bit more, a bit faster, bit slower. Yeah, good that one. And then we went back to doing the other thing that we were there for. So but I love that shot. And and yeah, a lot of people comment on the neatness of storytelling if you like the the fact that it feels it always felt like a, a standalone app but that kind of helps that kind of idea that that thing um but you don't always get to do those things you know you don't you were talking about the cut earlier and one thing you have in editor in uh episodic tv is no control whatsoever so i um i had my my first cut was about 78 minutes so that was the cut that came to me from my editor and I was panicking because it's a 62-page script. And I was like, how the hell did I get that much? We cut it back to about 70 minutes, 69, I think. So I thought, well, at least I had a six in it somewhere. So therefore, I might get away with that. And then <laughs> I sent it back. I sent it off. And, and uh, I'd actually really cut out one series, one chunk. And that's basically from Joel getting to the gates, walking in, and then not discovering that and then opening the door and funnily enough that was about six minutes that we all we took out so you didn't I didn't I thought it was quite a nice cut really but anyway and then Craig picks up the phone and goes I put it all back and I'm like okay great HBO love it and I'm like okay great so and it's their call like you say it's their call not every broadcaster would be able to do that so um we were we were lucky but anyway
0: I guess that kind of leads me on to, uh probably the last thing we'll get to kind of talk to, talk about um, because I, I mean you and I definitely carry on chatting about everything but uh people people have things to do <laughs> um and I'm sure you do as well. but um the what I was going to sort of talk about uh, lastly was that kind of broadcast to you know when you finish your cut and obviously on American TV it's much faster you finish your cut you, you you're off, you're gone. British TV, you have a lot longer doing that and, and everything else. And how do you find having to sort of, as they say, kill your darlings and feel like you're still maintaining some integrity on your vision for the episode compared to what maybe because it is very different between episodic TV and film. It's like, and you know, you've always said, you know, you're an episodic TV director, which means you can turn your hand to pretty much everything but you do have a voice and a style.
1: I have always appreciated my job, my role, and, you know, up until It's a Sin, actually, that's not quite true. I had done a couple of other things before, but It's a Sin was the first time I felt like I really authored something when I was ready to do it as well. You know, it's something that meant something and hit a beginning, a middle and an end five part, this whole mini series. I did it all. And that was very um, thrilling uh, to be able to do that. But When you do episodic TV, there's a showrunner and it's them that's running the show. You know, that's the whole point. So you do everything you can and you give it to them. Ideally, if you're really good at it, you give it to them in a way that is so well formed that they'd be mad to pull it apart. But they will and they do. But like I'm now you know, working again with Russell and Russell's a superb showrunner and writer. So. I I'll also be mad to try and sit there and go, oh, no, don't do that. Don't put that back. Put that back. I like that shot, which is another thing. Don't be precious about shots because it's pointless. Um, yeah, you know, they're going to go. They'll be taken from you. So I think I think uh, it, you have to appreciate when you're doing an episodic that it's not about you. <laughs> but ironically, what they ask of you is to make it all about you in order to get it shot. So it's a strange sort of dichotomy like it has to be all about you because somebody has to say, What are we doing? When are we doing it? How big is it? How small is is it? But then in the edit, you have to almost walk back and go, it's not really anything to do about me. It's all to do about the greater good, the series uh, producer or or the showrunner. And that's really tough because you've put your heart and soul into it. And you're sat in a a British edit. You're sat there watching it being pulled apart and tiny little minutiae, like, oh, perhaps, we could could you take eight frames off that? And you're like, are you really going to notice that? Oh, God, all right. And then you take four off, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's great." That's you know, yeah. and you like you well, didn't notice, you weren't paying attention. I um, <laughs> yes, had a great friend, a, a, an edit, a director of Hollyoaks who who uh, well, I say great friend, but he was they were all great friends back then. But um, he had this great ruse where if there was a dodgy edit, he would drop his notepad during the during the uh, the viewing. So he knew that something he he didn't want them to see. So he'd drop his notepad deliberately and they'd all go, Oh, you're all right, okay. And they'd miss the cut. So I think there's something in that. I think that's a really clever thing to do if you suddenly want to divert attention away.
0: that, uh, that, I, that is great other than the um other than the fact that this these days it's all sent by um media shuttle and and you Well, true. No one's seems a, a convenience convenient.
1: So. All you get is the abusive uh, emails where they say, oh, well done. The shit sandwich, as they would call it, where they say, oh, wonderful. We love your work. Here's three pages of notes. And then at the end, oh, it's just to say we really love it. Like, oh, what about the three pages yeah. of notes?
0: Yeah, we really love it, except for all of the following. And you're like, yeah. hang on a second. That's my entire episode. Oh, um, give me three seconds.
1: Um, look, it's coming close to the end. I've got two questions here that I've pulled up, and I'm going to answer them very quickly. Um, agent versus recommendations. Well, the key thing about an agent is that, for me, is that they um, they they elevate you into the, another room. They, like my agent Joe at Curtis Brown, he got me into more serious spaces. So basically, I got mistresses through him because he knew that it was going on. He was representing the other directors. And uh, so he got me in that room with the BBC, uh, notching me up to a new level in my career. I'd never done a primetime BBC show until that point. And then that got me onto spooks and so on and so on. And I think that's key, really. It's like you want an agent should, if they're doing their job right, they should be leveling you bringing you up bringing you up and bringing you up not so that you don't go around in circles doing the same thing and and I think that's the difference really and and yes you do get most of your jobs because you've met people or you you or your reputation precedes you but um but I think the agent thing is is something when it works it's something to cherish it's a, a good part of the process and secondly how much coverage did you have to shoot? Well, that's that's a horses for courses question, which is how much coverage do you want to shoot? Because I don't shoot a huge amount. I have a low ratio, as they say, because I tend to not want to. Well, here's the here's the angry response, which is the more you give them, the more they'll use. So if you give them lots of options and cut here and cut there and another angle, they'll they'll do it, and then you end up with something that is is uh, is is unfathomable so i tend to be very um clear about how i do it and and you know the minimum you know all of our great favorites so you know something that develops a simple shot a bit of spielberg here and there a bit of fincher with a like really fixed camera and and then you know a bit of all my favorites really and and then two or three or four shots that that tend to fit together the right way and and then you then you go and, and then if you, you can edit them in different ways, but ultimately it kind of looks like you've made a mistake if you edit it in any other way. So, but famous last words, they will screw it up if they can. So, um, but coverage, yeah, I tend to not shoot huge amounts of coverage. I tend to um,
0: keep it simple. Lovely. Well, I think that, I mean, God, unless anybody else has one last question, question i mean They're probably all
1: waiting for you to say do you have any questions and then when then we'll get more but they might also be bored. they might also be so <laughs> bored sat here for this whole time
0: listen, listen to... i mean yeah. i i i've not been bored so i'm happy
1: well that's okay um paul says <laughs> guys that's, that's great thanks paul oh two questions we're not bored film or digital says aj sykes um i guess is that is that me choosing or or is that for Last of Us? Are you asking me what we shot on? Or uh, do you want to know what I would choose if I had the choice? I'll ask, the, I'll ask that question. Uh, yes, you choosing. Okay, <clears throat> I would choose... Oh, God. I started... I was very lucky when I got to do big TV after Hollyoaks. I worked in 16 mil film on a number of shows. Spooks was 16 mil. Mistresses was 16 mil. Um, about five Days was 16 mil. God, loads of them were. And I loved it. I loved it. And I remember a conversation with the BBC HD department, which would trying to force themselves onto so many shows at that time. And we were all going, "What? why, why? And they were like, you've got to make it, a, you've got to shoot it this way. And we were like, and that was mistresses. And it was, you know, with respect to them, it was women of a certain age who were terrified of HT because it looked so awful back then. It looked so garish. And they were like, we don't want to go and do that show and we'll make it look. We, we love what we've got. We want it to stay this beautiful. So we had a big fight about it. And, but one of the things, one of the lies they were spreading was that uh, 16 mil wouldn't hold up and of course it's a complete line it, it would and you can go and use it right now there are many films actually out right now who were that were shot on 16mm yeah. and it's, obviously there's a grain thing but it's so beautiful and so i think I we should some- yeah we should shoot more on that um i guess i would choose film but i'm not afraid of digital either so i guess that doesn't really answer the question <laughs> <Does> it- <laughs> um did peter get to choose which episode no i didn't um they chose it for me so there you go. Um, and how did I feel about the <laughs> the praise Spielberg gave the episode? Well, um, they were. I was very excited. There was. I, we all got an email from Craig, and so literally myself, Nick, Murray, Evan, and uh, Craig all sent this email around that, that Stevens uh, Stephen has sent via his assistant to us, and. Um, middle-aged men were sort of you know geeking out about this thing like because who doesn't who wouldn't be excited I mean he literally said the directing is off the scale and I'm like okay I'm gonna die tomorrow now because I can't
0: (laughs) that's it retired done better
1: than that right so so um but unfortunately I I have to still work and I have to try and make it as good as that again so um no pressure but that was just an incredible moment but look you know he was like everybody else he um he got on board. And I think you sometimes are lucky enough to have those moments in your career where people get on board and, and, and the whole, know, not world, but a lot of people watch that show. And, 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 um, and actually it's a sin. I remember a lot of people tweeting about it's a sin. Kathy Burke said lovely things about me. And, and that was lovely to hear. And, um, uh, Michelle Visage, I mean, that's no, you can't get better than Michelle, Michelle Visage talking about you on, on Twitter. So, um yeah as i say i probably achieved everything right so i should give up now give you a job
0: this is it this is this is the last interview you get this done
1: this is it Retire now. tomorrow yeah i'm retiring i think i'm gonna go and heard it is, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> no well you're obviously um i think just just to finish obviously it's out in the papers but you're excitingly off to do doctor who i Which is
1: i'm um, doing it right now series um series uh, 2 of the new incarnation technically that makes it series 15 of the newest thing uh which is not broadcast till 2025 and I've never had that before so um yeah you won't see it for a very very
0: long time <laughs> peter thank you so much it's as it's always always, always a pleasure.
1: i'll do it in person with you sometime soon um when i'm not yes. in cardiff um although you you said you were going to did you say you were going to come and see me
0: I would love to come and visit yeah, if I can.
1: Okay, go on, we're cool. gonna I'll that out. Okay, good. Yes, Thanks everybody.
0: Thanks, Bye. guys. This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear plenty more directors in conversation by subscribing on the usual streaming platforms. Follow us on social media and find out more about us at directors.uk.com.